This episode is brought to you in part by Richmond Graduate University. The field of mental health counseling is growing rapidly. Richmond Graduate University can equip you to become a licensed professional counselor, integrating your faith into your clinical practice. Programs are offered in Atlanta, Chattanooga, and online. Apply today at richmont.edu. Paying monthly used to be just for magazines. Now it's just a way of life. From reading books to driving cars, has software changed ownership forever? This is Device and Virtue. Well, hey, welcome back to Device and Virtue, where we argue the wrongs and rights of technology and faith in everyday life. We're coming to you from Chicago. I'm Chris. And I'm Adam. Hey, Chris. <laughs> today, I have a bone to pick about technology because it has changed the way that we buy things. I'm talking sure. about subscriptions. Oh. We're subscribing to everything today. I have to subscribe to an internet service. Come on. That's so ridiculous. <laughs> okay. Yeah, obviously. <laughs> I have to subscribe to Apple Storage to yeah. store my extra photos. Sure. I have to subscribe to Netflix just yeah. so I can watch movies. Okay. It's all terrible. Chris, everything has turned into the Dollar Shave Club. Like, <laughs> you can even subscribe and get physical things sent to you on a monthly basis now. Cheese of the month. Right? No, so much more than that. I just... Are you, you're mad because you can't go buy your little thing off the antique shelf and bring it home <laughs> to your wife and your dog and your picket fence? <laughs> this sounds like an Adam complaint. It really is. <laughs> I think it's because I want to buy something and I want to have it and know that I can use it whenever I want and not have to worry about paying to keep it. Yeah. You are, I think you are not crazy. The whole economy has changed in the last 10 years or so. McKinsey Research, famous business consulting group, says that subscriptions grew 300% between 2012 and 2018. It's expected to reach more than $2 trillion in 2025. Yeah. Every company on the planet has sort of moved from this thing where you just buy something right. to you pay a regular monthly fee for it. Yeah, so I used to own... Microsoft Office. Okay. Here we and go. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, you bought the little Office 95 box yeah. from Best Buy. It was like wrapped in like a plastic <laughs> yeah. container. And, yeah. you, you know, and the you front, had, they unlocked the yeah, box. You got to unwrap it. There was a whole <laughs> unwrapping ritual that happened. And now like- And I you just... put in disc one of 42. <laughs> no, but actually back when they had discs, I feel like you'd do that. But then the yeah. CD would have- The floppy uh, yeah, discs. Yeah, Those maybe, were amazing. Yeah, yeah. But now it's like Office 365. Sure. And I'll tell you what, I don't subscribe to it anymore. <laughs> I don't even have Office on my computer. I have a PC and I don't even have Microsoft Office. Yeah, well. It's so dumb. Like, because you use Google for free. That is true. <laughs> I use Google Back for, for free. free, meaning you're the product on that. That's how they work too. <laughs> Fair. Fair. I actually pay for Google for a subscription for Google Docs and things. But yeah, late 90s, you have Microsoft selling you a product. And now they're selling you a subscription. Yeah, there's a lot of changes, especially to software. Yeah. The SaaS model of software, software as a service. S-A-A-S. Correct, SAS. right? SaaS. Like, uh, they're sassy. about to get some SaaS from me. <laughs> yeah, right, right. This whole episode is SaaS. No, like both Microsoft and Adobe, and we can talk about this, did big, big shifts from where you would go and buy software off the shelf yeah. to where you start paying a regular fee for that. Mm -hmm. And I remember all those shifts. 
And I remember all those shifts. I know people got mad about them. I think subscriptions are great. We can talk about it. But I was thinking about old school subscriptions for a minute. Like okay. we, we've always subscribed to like the newspaper or something. Like Naturally. it sounds like a sort of standard thing. Later days, people subscribe to cable. TV, mm, right? Yeah. We weren't allowed to in my house because we, we were too yeah, crazy. We, we never had cable that I we can were, recall. We were too, our house was up. too Christian to have cable. <laughs> we're, like, we're like, that's the devil's work. Three major networks. That's the Lord's work right yeah, there. Exactly, right? Peter Jennings, not Dan Rather. So <laughs> we didn't have cable, but there have been subscriptions over time. I was thinking, do you remember BMG Music yeah. House? <laughs> or BMG, Columbia House? Columbia House, yeah. Like the whole thing where they'd send you a postcard and be like, you can choose 12 CDs for one cent. Oh man, I always wanted to do that and I don't think I ever you did. You didn't do it? I totally did it. So you would go it through- It sounded like a scam, I Literally, think. you'd like mark a Scantron or something. Yeah. Oh no, you would write down the numbers. You'd flip through this paper catalog. You'd write down a five-digit number. I want Amy Grant Heart in Motion. Okay, so which was, by That's the way, was my mom let me have when I was only allowed to Christian music because <laughs> wow. she's like, it's Amy Grant, it's probably I fine. Mean, and I was like, yes, I'm getting an actual pop was, album. She was edgy. Had baby, baby on it. Baby, baby, I'm taken with But she was talking about her child, right? (laughs) No, then the Christians saw the, I remember there being a controversy. There was a music video with an attractive guy. And I don't, I never even saw Uh, it. And everyone's like, no, she's not, oh no, she's not talking about her baby. (laughs) So you'd write down the five digit codes on a list, send that in. And then they would send you like all these CD at once, right? But the catch, of course, was you were on a subscription. And the subscription was every month, they would send you another CD in the mail You'd get those 12 CDs for one cent, but every other CD was like twenty eight ninety nine <laughs> right, a right. CD, which was like way, way more than you could buy. You could buy it at Best Buy for $11. And it would show up in the mail, and if you didn't return it within, I don't know, four or five days, they would charge you the full price of those CDs. And it was like, it was preyed on this idea that the mail was slow, right? and you turning off that subscription was really difficult to do, and right. you'd probably get a whole year of very expensive CDs to compensate for the cheap ones you got at the front. Yeah, absolutely. Music subscriptions early on. <laughs> and, and it would charge your credit card, right? So they had your credit card on file, yeah, I yeah, assume. Yeah, yeah. And that's a very different thing than going further back with subscriptions where you had to like maybe pay ahead of time for a certain amount of time. And if you didn't pay again, you wouldn't, the subscription wouldn't continue. Well, when I was a kid, I delivered newspapers. Yeah, it was actually in Japan. And you had to go collect. (laughs) I had to go do collections every month. So I would go, and I knew the route. It was actually, I say Japan, but it was the U.S. military base. Okay. And people that grew up in the military might know the Pacific Stars and Stripes was a newspaper that just the military got. And it just, like when you lived overseas, a little bit before the internet, it was harder to get news. So there was a newspaper they would print. They'd usually reprint like AP stories and other stories. And there'd be some specific to the military. But you get the news. It would come out every morning and on the military base. And I'd deliver that in the Okinawa Times, which was all in Japanese. Of course, Japanese reads right to left, up and down. And so I had to learn to fold the newspaper and place it so it wasn't upside down <laughs> on people's doorsteps. But I would walk in the apartment buildings to deliver on my things. And then afterwards, I would go every month and collect. Yeah, they'd send me a printout and I'd have to go door to door and... Gosh, did I collect checks? Probably. I guess I collected checks. Yeah. I put them in an the envelope and sent them back. And today, <laughs> your credit card is on file yeah. and they're charging you every month. And you may or may not be aware of how much money is going out of your checking account every month in subscriptions. Sure. And all of that is afforded by the internet itself, right? The internet has made this more possible than ever to, for cash to just flow from your account into the corporate account. Yeah, so I guess this is a sort of a, we're trying to talk about talk 
we're trying to talk about technology and daily life and faith. This is like an epi- economic sort of kind of thing. But you're sure. saying, I think, probably that technology has changed the way that we like has did a big shift. Yes. Maybe tech is the driver for yes. why everything has changed. There's a reason it's gone up 300%. And you think it's a bad thing. Yes, I would say in general, it's not a good thing for the average consumer. So why don't we talk about the things that you think are wrong with the subscription model and what you lament about it. Sure. In 2017, there was a hurricane. It was called Hurricane Irma. It came through Florida. Okay. And there were lots of Floridians who had Teslas and they were trying to get out of town, right? Oh, okay. And it was an emergency. They only had so much battery. And some of them had a a lower package on their Tesla where they only had a limited range. Okay. Like the car. Yeah. The car could go 200 miles instead of 300 miles on a battery charge. Right. And in the middle of this emergency, Tesla said, hey, we're going to increase your battery life so that you can go 300 miles instead of 200 miles. We're going to send a download to your car and you'll be able to go 300 miles. Yeah. And cool. so like, like yeah, that sounds safety really cool, or something right? for the hurricane yeah. to get out of Dodge. Or yeah. yeah, it sounds really cool. But <laughs> what this revealed was the whole time their cars could go 300 miles and not 200 miles. They bought the car, but it could only go 200 miles because of a piece of software, because of the programming that was in that Tesla. And Tesla was upselling people to be able to go 300 miles. Yeah. And they would pay thousands of dollars right. for this quote unquote upgrade, right. even though it wasn't a physical upgrade, it was a software upgrade. The, yeah, phys- so- the physical battery could go 300 miles, yeah, but the software was limiting it. It was governing it to only go 200. Yeah, you're saying the battery always had the ability to yes. do 300 miles, but for some people, if they didn't buy the more expensive version, exactly. the computer didn't let them do it. And so they've bought the same car, but they didn't buy the same software. And... The question is, do they own the car that they've purchased? You can't do that with a gasoline vehicle where you limit the range. If I buy the vehicle, it can go 400 miles and that's it. And there's no governing, like you would have to make, literally physically make it a smaller gas tank or whatever. But with a Tesla, with its technology, what you own isn't exactly what you own. Oh, I see. What you own isn't exactly what you own. You're subscribing to the vehicle on some level, and you could purchase the upgrade later if you wanted. But do you own a Tesla? Absolutely, you own a Tesla. But I mean, do you own... So arbitrary, though. So this example is really interesting that you would immediately jump to ownership. I want to get into the fact that software is like a tool, and a lot of our current tools, like our software tools, and the fusion of hardware and software together... Right. is a lot of the most amazing technology is. But I'm most interested first in like, what do you think an owner is? Like you think that if you own it somehow, mm-hmm. that they should not be able to change something. It sounds like what you're saying is when you own something, you want it to freeze in time. I'm saying when you own something, you should have complete control over the object as it is and not be subject to the decisions of a corporate entity. In this case, that arbitrary limit of battery power is a decision being made by Tesla. And it's not based on the material limits of the car itself. It's a limit of the car from the software perspective. 
Like is software not real, but the battery is real? But it's subject to the will and decision of the corporate entity, which is a group of people who have a vested interest in making money. Would you feel differently if you had to take that Tesla into a mechanic for a morning? You scheduled an appointment. You took that Tesla into a mechanic. The mechanic got under the hood, changed something, and now your car could go 300 miles instead of the 200 miles. Or maybe in a lot of cases, like my Toyota Camry had to have a replacement, like a recall a few years ago. I took it into the Toyota dealer. They got under the hood. They changed it and improved the part and gave it back to me. So they paid for that, not me. It sounds to you like that feels good to you. If you would take it into a mechanic, they would feel like I'm owning that and I'm doing it. Yeah. But if it was instant, if it was a software thing, you feel like that's weird or I don't own it anymore. I think it has to do with where the power is in this situation. Okay. So the corporation is maintaining some degree of ownership over your vehicle, even though you've purchased it from them. If I take my Toyota into a dealer, like that's my choice over something I own. And it's not subject to their permission or me having to pay them. I can pay a mechanic who lives in my town and works on Toyotas and the money's going to him, not back to Tesla in this case. See, it sounds to me like Tesla, like the ordinary procedure I'm sure is that you would choose as an owner whether to pay for a new feature. Like I've now decided the 300 mile range is better for me than the $200 range. I want to upgrade this. Right. So I'm going to pay them for it. The only difference is that Tesla can deliver that feature instantly over the air versus you having to schedule an appointment. It's actually, you get a new feature, you chose it, and it's more convenient. It was faster to get it. (laughs) No, there's a difference between who's in control of those upgrades. Well, you in an ordinary circumstance, you'd be in control. You'd choose to purchase it and you'd choose whether you'd want it. Exactly. You're just saying that in in this hurricane situation where people needed to humanitarian relief, they chose to give everyone a free upgrade. Sure. And you're mad. The the benevolence of Tesla. (laughs) Thank you, Elon. So uh, this reminds me of another situation, talking about the software portion of this, right? And you can tell me about other things here. But when you were like, I want to think about this subscription model, Mm -hmm. first thing I thought about was software itself. You're talking about Tesla software, but I thought about Adobe. And Adobe is the maker of Photoshop, the maker of InDesign. I do some marketing consulting and led stuff like that for churches for a long time for different agencies. And we use those products all the time. They're professional tools. You got to edit your photos. You got to create your designs. They're expensive software, like buying yeah. that stuff off the shelf back in 2010, 2012, you'd pay hundreds of dollars. Like I don't remember, Photoshop was probably 150 bucks. InDesign maybe was more, sure. 200, 250 bucks. You'd buy these and you'd get sales, but you'd buy it in the box, just like you're talking about, yeah. load it up on the CD, load it on your computer, and then you'd own it. And you'd get a license number and you'd have to plug that in. And I remember like going through the wizard and then you have a licensed product because that was designed to keep people from just randomly copying it. Sure. In 2012, it was a big deal when Adobe announced we're going to be moving to the creative cloud and the creative cloud means you pay us a monthly fee, but you can use all these products at once. You can do that for InDesign and Photoshop and they have probably 10 other products because they expanded into video, this kind of thing. Well, 
people got really mad about it. Actually, I was looking this up. Some folks actually put a petition online on change.org, <laughs> which was like supposed to be political and humanitarian uh-huh. issues. But they're like, Adobe can't do this. It's not allowed. We own this software. Mm. Adobe's going to take away the ability for us to own software. Yeah. And they did that essentially. Yeah. Over the last five years, I think in 2018 was the last year you could buy the I own it version of Photoshop. Right. Now, if you want Photoshop, you have to purchase a subscription. Right. And I was looking at this, oh, 2017 is when Adobe ended that. 2018, I was looking at a stat that said 84% of new software is now subscription model. It's right. Almost no software is released as you go buy it off the shelf yeah. anymore. Yeah. Best Buy, there's a reason why Best Buy is dead. <laughs> yeah, and I think it's also an affordance of high-speed internet. I think that high-speed internet has made it possible for you to get regular updates to your subscribed services in part, right? Yeah, now you're jumping into like why this has even happened. Mm-hmm. But I'm even saying, I'm just making the argument right now that one, it's happened. And then two, it's the same thing as the Tesla thing. It's a good thing. Because when you'd buy Photoshop before, back to the feature thing, you're just okay. talking about the battery increasing life. It gave you a new feature. Back when you used to buy Photoshop, the only way you could get a new feature, a new brush or something to do with a new photo, you'd have to buy an all new software. Fair. That was super expensive. Now, when you're on the subscription, you get new features every month that automatically updates your software. It doesn't mm-hmm. matter what you have. Sure. And like those roll out as they build them. When they think of it, they build it. It appears elsewhere. It sounds like a better deal, just like the Tessa. Yeah. And I think the subscription model when it comes to software makes a lot of sense. But I think this software mindset has trickled back into areas of our life like a physical battery Right. To make us think, oh, yeah, this just makes sense to be a subscription because we just do that with software, too. But a battery isn't software. It's hardware. Yeah. And another example is just like a silly one. But like you can get a drink subscription to Panera Bread now. Do you know this? You can like. I know I did. I actually did it. You got like bottomless drinks. It's hard for me to admit because a Panera (laughs) is such a suburbs thing. You know how I like immediately on this. But there's one Panera near my church in the city. And yeah, you could pay like seven ninety nine and get unlimited coffee and tea. Yeah, it's seven ninety nine a month. Yeah, yeah. And blah, blah blah. I did it for one month and then I canceled it. But yes, <laughs> yes. That's like two drinks. But we're taking this software mindset, which I think makes sense for subscriptions in a lot of ways, and it's reverted back into the hardware space to the point that we're subscribing to things that aren't services and they aren't software. They're not SaaS, but they're products or they're hardware that is something that we could own, but we've been so brainwashed by the tech industry that we think, oh yeah, I'll just subscribe to have that product. And that totally makes sense. And it just doesn't. I think we need to push back a bit on the line of where subscriptions are and where they're not. Okay. I want to take you back to my very prestigious undergrad business degree (laughs) in economics and talk to you about the difference between a product and a service. Chris, Toby Beresford here from British and Foreign Bible Society. Love the episode about the new Vision Pro. One thought I have is whether the flat screen metaverse where we're just what we're using right now on platforms like Roblox and Fortnite might be more significant than perhaps uh, Meta or Apple are really thinking about it. And if I think about my seven-year-old and ask him to draw a picture of Christ on the cross, 
when he draws it, he draws a, a Roblox character on the cross. So in that generation, I think that these sort of flat screen metaverse platforms are still going to be super interesting. And I just wonder what your take is on those and whether they already have the kind of the traction that that the others are looking for. So something like a Roblox might have like 200 million users and so on. So yeah, anyway, great podcast and uh, lovely chatting. Cheers, bye. This episode is brought to you in part by Thomas Nelson, publisher of Nine Lives and Counting, a bounty hunter's journey to faith, hope, and redemption. Written by Dwayne Dog the Bounty Hunter Chapman. Nine Lives and Counting not only offers a fresh perspective on well-known life events, but also ventures into behind-the-scenes territory and backstories never shared publicly. Nine Lives and Counting is available everywhere audiobooks are sold. Visit thomasnelson.com audio to learn more. So my undergrad degree is in economics. It's really boring, I think, but you did have to take all the business classes. And one of the one-on-one topics they teach you, right, is like the difference between a product and a service. Yeah. Because when you do a product or a service, like every business usually gets divided into one of those two camps. Okay. And everything changes. The way you do your inventory, like you do inventory for products, but you don't really do inventory for services. Sure. You do marketing differently. When services, you talk about how good you are at the service and products. Mm-hmm. You talk about the features of the product, mm-hmm. although now they both talk about emotions, so whatever. <laughs> but I mean, this was a business one-on-one thing. Mm-hmm. And like some of the like examples would be like, a product used to be defined by something that you could hold. So right. it'd be like tangible, okay, right? Physical like, object. It would have a, yeah, tangible, physical object. would probably be a fixed price would be like, right. like you'd think of consumer products, like a car, like, like we're talking Tesla, about, maybe. a Tesla, <laughs> groceries from uh-huh. the store, everything you buy at Target, like whether it's a t-shirt, like all yeah. the shelves, yeah. or but even technology, like a smartphone, it's a consumer product that you own to some extent, you yes. might want to argue with that. And then of course, you got to think about the raw materials that go into products, like lumber is a product that goes into a house that you can own later, mm-hmm. all products, right? Mm-hmm. Services are not tangible and you can't own in that same way. Dry cleaning is a service. I'm going to go get this dry clean. I'm going to pay a fee. They're going to clean it for me. They're going to give it back, right? They're cleaning a product, but it's a service they're selling. Yeah. um, And it's a shirt that I own. I'm not subscribing to that shirt, right? I don't know. Maybe that'd be fun. (laughs) A lawyer is a professional service. Going to see the doctor is a service. We've always had services. A graphic Mm -hmm. designer is a service. Someone's using their talents, their skills, whatever it is to do that. But digital tech, has really bent these categories. So let's be honest, I went to college quite a long time ago, (laughs) like over 20 years ago. And things really have, things that used to be services have now become productized. Mm, So they're blurring the lines. Things that used to be products have now become sort of service-ized. So one example is a digital product. Okay. A digital product, like instead of hiring a tutor or an educator or a trainer, which would be a service, Mm -hmm. like maybe in a business environment Mm -hmm. or a teacher in a school, you can purchase and download an online course. Okay. So you've taken education that was a service, but you've downloaded it into a product that you might pay $150 to take this online course. I'm going to download all the information for it. You can't hold it. You can't really resell it, but you do pay a fixed fee for it. You see how it's blending all of those categories. Yeah. And software is this blend of content and process. It's bringing this physical thing, but it's bringing a process to it in some way. And so that 
bending of that category. Yeah, it's blending it, but that's exactly the point with the software, right? The sort of SaaS software, SaaS mm-hmm. software, <laughs> software as a service is what we used to think of as a product off the right. shelf at Best Buy has become a service. Right. Yeah, I subscribe to Microsoft Office or mm-hmm. I subscribe to these photo apps. I subscribe to a lot of actual mm-hmm. apps. You mentioned like the iPhone storage. And that's the opposite direction, a product that moves to service. I had other examples for service that moves the product. They have an acronym for this. I looked it up, which I did not know. SaaS was the software one, but SAP is service as a product. (laughs) So things that used to be services, but now have become productized, like Fiverr, you know, the website Fiverr? Yeah. We actually hired an audio engineer at the very beginning of when we We were producing Device and Virtue to help us sort out issues. (laughs) And I found them on Fiverr. So it has Mm -hmm. creatives on there. But you can buy a product on there. Like, I want a brochure for yeah. my business. I'm going to find a designer on Fiverr. They're going to design it and send it off to the printer. I get it back. But you buy it for a fixed fee. So you get a product at the end of the day, but you're sort of using this website that's a service right. to get it. Right. So digital technology is really, it's a fun mirror. The old <laughs> business school categories of just product and just service don't really work anymore. Right. And one of the best examples of this is the ones that are 50-50 split. For instance, Peloton, remember during the pandemic? Yeah. The exercise bike that you buy at home, you'd buy a product that you have at home, like it comes out, you unpack it, you build your exercise bike. But in order to use it, like you're almost required to pay for the subscription, right. pay for the service. Right. What they really sold were the exercise classes. And what yeah. made it really different from another bike is that you did it live with other people at the same time and there was a live instructor, but sure. that's a service you pay for. Sure. That was almost like a boom split yeah. of both of those. Digital technology has really blurred these categories completely. Mm-hmm. And in some sense, like that Peloton becomes a bit of a toaster. It's like a one trick pony. It does one thing and it does that one thing. And if the service element wasn't there, you really wouldn't be able to use it. It would be, the term is bricked. Yeah, I think you can still use it, but you wouldn't want to pay that much for it. The whole point of it was using the service, I guess. The Atlantic published an article in February 2023 about Hewlett Packard and their instant ink service. Oh, like printer ink. Printer ink. Oh, the inkjet printer. Yeah. Bane of everyone's technological existence. Yes, exactly. (laughs) So you would buy a $200 printer. Yeah. Or whatever. And you could subscribe to get printer ink sent to you every month. When it was like running out or something. Yeah. So you'd pay $5.99 a month and they would track the usage. Yeah. And then send you ink. Right. But. Sometimes that's something you could only do with the internet. Cool. But. Here's the thing. If you stopped paying for that subscription at the end of that month, even if you had ink left, you couldn't use it anymore. What do you mean? You couldn't use the ink that was left in the cartridge after your subscription was up, even if there was extra ink left. So like the opposite of the Tesla thing, the software would disable the ink. Exactly. Your printer was bricked. At the end of your subscription, if you didn't continue paying. And the author, the way he found out about this was that his credit card had changed. So it stopped paying. His printer no longer printed and he had to figure out what's going on. Yeah. And HP was not upfront about this. It was very unclear that this was how it was working. And you weren't actually paying for the ink or the cartridges. You were paying for the pages you printed. So if you printed more than 100 pages a month, it would stop printing. Yeah, so? It didn't have anything to do. (laughs) Yeah, because it's the same kind of example, right? You're saying like, hey, you own this. Now it feels like this digital company is like 
reaching into your home, I bet you think, right? And stopping you from using something that you bought. Yeah. And this is the software as a service mindset going too far, in my opinion. Like I get that there is maybe a good line where we subscribe to services and we have an ongoing relationship. That's fine. But there's a point at which that goes too far. And I no longer am even in control of what's happening. I'm just paying for something. They're billing me for it. And then I have no ownership of it after I've stopped paying. You have some ownership of it. In this example, I looked at this article you sent me. You could actually get rid of the subscription. I think you did have to remove those ink cartridges and buy other ink cartridges to (laughs) get. So that does feel dumb, right? Maybe they were a little bit shady on that. like the BMG CD collection (laughs) thing where like they make it seem like you're going to get all this free music, but probably they're going to get to charge you extra because of like technicalities. Sure. Yeah, we can agree that being shady is dumb. But friends, subscriptions versus ownership is really interesting to me that like I want to ask more why is like, why do you care? And let's go to another example that doesn't feel like technology to us. Let's talk about renting or owning a house. Yes. Okay, so there's Mm -hmm. this idea that you can buy a house and back in, especially our parents' generation, buying the house, and probably some people think like this today, but like buying the house is what you do. If you can, the most responsible (laughs) thing, you get a job, you get married, you buy the house. Then of course, then we had the financial recession, other things, and we realized like owning wasn't all it was cracked up to be. And I've stayed on renting for a very long time. Like I've rented most of my adult life. And one of the advantages to renting is that when something breaks, like when my water heater broke, my landlord had came out and fixed it, yeah. right? Like they yeah. paid and they fixed it. Another time is I was like frustrated with the kitchen and it just wasn't that nice. And the landlord said, I'm going to put in new stuff in there and upgraded the kitchen, upgraded the backsplashes, yeah. put in some new lighting. Amazing. And I got these new features Yeah, because I was subscribing to my <laughs> home. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah. It wasn't the worst. And what we learned with the renting housing thing is houses can lose value, not just gain value. Sure. This is really true for software as well. In fact, it's almost always true for software. Software doesn't gain value. If I went and bought it off the shelf, the technology, and think about the way technology progresses, it progresses and gets better and better. If you've ever put software in a box and then forgot about it and then opened that box later and pulled out, you're like, I pulled out the other day, I pulled out a CD of Dragon Naturally Speaking. Do you remember what this is? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, (laughs) It was like voice recognition software from like 2010. But it was software that was very expensive because it was cutting edge. It cost like $200. And you would allow you to speak into Microsoft Word and it would transcribe your voice as you do it. Now, the software is useless, right? Like (laughs) they lost all its value because like everything in its mother can do this. Forget Siri, we're way beyond that. Like voice detection is just the norm. And so we have it across software. It's almost an expected thing. I can text by voice. I can do whatever. That software lost value in that cardboard box like faster than a rock <laughs> dropping in the Mariana Trench. So it makes sense that owning that software was actually not a great idea. I got no features and I lost money. Mm-hmm, Same mm-hmm. with houses these days. Mm-hmm. It's sometimes a nice to rent and someone else takes care of the new features, especially the people that know how to build new features. Sure. What is the obsession with owning? My point is technology changed this to where we pay a regular amount for some of these things. And I think it's better. I think it's natural. I think ownership just comes from the technology world that you think of back in the past where we used to have our own house and our own car and there was no way to do anything else. (laughs) Again, I think of my two criticisms, the one is that the software mindset has bled back into the product and objects that we can own. But it hasn't. I just brought up the houses. Those weren't software. 
and yeah, we've rented and for fair. forever. And that's fair. And I think there is a real value to what you're saying. If I imagine the future where we have self-driving cars and I can just subscribe to a car and I don't have to buy it, yeah, I'm definitely open to that because when that car breaks down, I am not responsible for getting it repaired. Right. I don't incur that cost. I just incur the cost of subscribing. You can lease cars these days, and you can, but actually I think... Th- a lot of the times they used to pay for a repair if it gets bad. And that's, that's not a great deal. No, yeah, I know. With a Tesla, it maybe preserves value longer, but I wonder if it is the case that 50 years from now, a Tesla will be a brick and you will not have antique Teslas driving around. I don't know. Maybe you will. But it's possible that you won't because... Well, and who killed the electric car? Didn't they actually actively destroy a (laughs) bunch of cars? So maybe they wind up doing that. Yeah, whereas you could have a car from 50 years ago and it still runs and it is gaining value or it has some degree of value still. Because it's nostalgic or art. Sure, for all those reasons, but it's still something you own and it's not dependent on Tesla to still be supporting it with its software. And so creating that sort of dependency in the same way that HP is creating dependency and not necessarily providing value in return for the objects, the physical objects that you already own. Like the fact that you can't use the rest of your instant ink cartridge after your subscription is, I have lots of very mean words going through my head. Makes you mad. It's very underhanded. So when it comes to subscriptions, that's one of my big critiques is you got to be able to provide value as a service, but not let the mindset of a service bleed back into objects that we should own or can own. I understand your point about renting an apartment. And I think the value there is what you said. You're not responsible for the repairs and you can slough that off onto your landlord. So there is good value in you subscribing to that apartment. Okay. I hear you talking all these negatives about the subscription, you don't want this stuff to happen, but <laughs> like, what's a real positive of ownership? Fair. What's the positive? Okay, fair. You mentioned that things can lose value. Yes, I agree with that. They can also accrue value. Home values historically have increased, yeah. so to speak. Antique cars have accrued value. Even if they haven't, say a book that I purchase, a physical book, a print book, we could talk about Kindles. Maybe we, we won't go there. <laughs> oh, I know you like that one. You can buy a book and you can resell that same object, the book itself. I can sell yep. it to half price books or I can sell it at a garage sale or I can give it away even as a gift. Yeah. I can't give a Kindle as a gift, even yeah. though it's a piece of software and you're trying to say that software is like a physical object, but it's not. It's more like IP or whatever. But well, yeah, you can't, as far as I know, you can't resell a Kindle Yeah, book. you can't. Nope. And so there is real value in owning physical objects because they can accrue value or they can be given as a gift. They can be exchanged in different ways, in meaningful ways, and become symbols of your friendship or whatever. You know, So there's ways that those physical objects have value, even aside from financial value. And so to not own things and to merely subscribe to things is to sort of walk lightly in the world and not have any real roots. Okay, Adam, you used to work for a Christian book publisher. I did. That was well-known and put out lots of books. And so you have opinions about the Kindle thing and all these, <laughs> holding the physical book. How did you get paid when you worked for Tyndale? They subscribed to my services. They did. <laughs> yeah. Did, did they pay you maybe like a monthly salary? Say? Yeah, it was something like that. 
That's interesting. Why didn't they just buy you? Because that's illegal in this country. (laughs) (laughs) I hope so. So it's interesting that you're thinking about ownership and the benefits of it. And I was Mm. thinking the way we get compensated is people pay regularly for our services because we think the ownership in that case is actually a horrible idea. Mm -hmm. We can't own a human. Yes. We can't put a value in that sense on your lifetime's work. I actually think scripturally, if you're going to think about what's the other ethical or Christian ethics that are involved with this, the model for the way that humans relate to the economy in scripture is not ownership. Okay. One of the most common preaching examples is going to start with the year of Jubilee in Israel. And this was the thing, of course, that's outlined in the law about this idea that farmers can work their fields and things. And if you get sort of in trouble financially, mm-hmm. you could actually lend your work out to mm-hmm. someone else, but sort of as a servant, indentured servitude, but you could not be a slave. Like that slave right. was like not allowed. And then every 50 years, all debt was erased and all the land went back to the original owner. Yeah. Right. There was no owner. In fact, the whole point of it in the law was that there wasn't an original owner of the land. Right. That God's the owner of everything. Mm -hmm. And we were all renting from God, Mm -hmm. as it were. (laughs) We're paying subscriptions maybe (laughs) in getting that, right? Yeah. Now, theologians will tell you, or most biblical scholars will tell you, we actually think that never happened. Okay. So the Jubilee year, right, it seems like Israel actually never did it, even though it was written down into the law. Right. They, they were never obedient they for never, 50 years. Yeah, exactly, yeah. that they never really happened. Hmm. So you have this value that sort of God's law lays down of people not owning permanently things. Right, right. That never actually fulfills because of sin. Sure. Now I'm going to make that joke about how sinful you are. But <laughs> do you see what I'm saying, that there's a framework here where it feels like our way of relating to the world maybe is a subscription model. I do see what you're saying. And there is a sense in which the Christian ethic isn't one of ownership, but one of stewardship, like yeah, you're saying, right. that God owns the cattle on a thousand hills and we're just subscribing to... To the stake of the month club. <laughs> <laughs> Terrible joke, really bad. Well, that's where I was going, though. <laughs> but I want to delineate between stewarding what God has given as a gift and subscribing to have an upgraded battery from Tesla. I'm not stewarding a Tesla for Elon Musk. That's not our arrangement. And it's not how I desire to live my life in indentured servitude to Elon. But I do agree that holding lightly the things that we have, that we falsely believe that we own, is the right way to approach the world and approach our lives. So yeah, there is a sense in which We are subscribers, we're not owners. And perhaps there's a practice that I could learn from being a better subscriber, maybe a posture, a way of living in the world. But I need to see past Hewlett Packard and Elon Musk and Tesla uh, in order to recognize that. Yeah, because you're talking about these manipulations that bother you in that model. But there might be not inherent to it. Yeah, and that could be true. Remember, I used to teach missionary fundraising. And so missionaries from all over the country would come and we teach them how to go ask for money for whatever they were doing. Mm-hmm. And some of our missionaries worked with orphanages. Some of our missionaries started new churches. Some of our missionaries worked with college students, with people doing a lot of different things. And any missionary that's raising support, if you've ever had someone approach you and be yeah. like, hey, can I talk to you about <laughs> the ministry that God has called me to? And you're like, oh, I know what they're doing. So if you grew up in evangelical church, this has probably happened to you yeah. if you yeah. haven't done it yourself. And that's how I lived for a decade, right? right? Like I raised my own support, as they say. And some of the, like Campus Crusade is very well known for doing this, but lots and lots of groups do this. And it's a trying time when you do this because you're living on faith, right? You sometimes 
sometimes yep. have a full salary yeah. and sometimes you don't. You don't know where everything's gonna come from that month. But every missionary will tell you that what they really want is for someone to support by sending a regular monthly amount. Sure, most reliable, yeah. Because it's reliable. Because that missionary needs to raise a budget to plan ahead. They have children, they have ministry needs yeah. they need to focus on, they need to have a car and a place to live, but also all the things that they need for their church or whatever they're doing. If someone just gives them a one-time amount, and some, even if it's a generous amount, yeah. more generous than they can do monthly, there's a coming cliff towards them that's going to run out very quickly, and they need to go back and ask for that again. But when someone does a regular subscription amount <laughs> to the ministry they're doing, it provides a stability, it provides future planning. It's a healthy way of looking at that. Mm. I was just realizing now as we're talking, maybe that's one of the reasons why I see sort of a regular monthly amount on anything as being like not that crazy of a way to mm. live because it's how I lived sure. for so long for the way the money that was supported, provided for me by the people that were generously supporting the Christian ministry I was doing. Thinking of it as just a way to live on faith, essentially. Yeah, there is a sense in which if I give you a lump sum, you have to manage how that money gets distributed. Whereas mm -hmm. if it's a quote-unquote subscription arrangement, you still do some budgeting, but you are relying on kind of this regular income stream. And that seems to be where a lot of these big tech companies want to go. They see it as a long-term benefit to their bottom line. Let's be fair, it is. They're making more money probably from a subscription than they yeah. are making from that one time because yeah. otherwise you have to get people to go back and buy a new version of the software, for right. instance. Right, they have to do less work. They can just bill your credit card. Correct, and yeah. yeah, it's a more efficient way to drain money from the end user. And that to me is a ethical problem and one that should be thought through carefully. Or it's a way to build, now we're going to sound like capitalists, but drain money from the end user is yeah, so absolutely. negative in the way you're saying that. that no, or it's a way to contribute consistently for value that's being got. Sure. But the house always wins. And I think they're going to work it in a way that they're getting more cash than they're doling out in benefits. And they're going to, like HP, they're like a $25 billion market cap, like the five ninety nine a month for Instant Ink, and then bricking it if you don't, is not good stewardship, in my opinion. Well, Chris, thanks for letting me opine on a bit of a soapbox about subscriptions. I suspect you're going to have some sympathizers. I hope so. But maybe I've won you over a little bit. My hope is that we've found some nuances between your perspective and my perspective. And I hope that our sympathizers will call and leave a voicemail for us. Link is in the show notes. It's on our website, deviceandvirtue.com. We'd love to hear your perspective on subscriptions, on ownership, on stewardship. And all that means, I think I counted up, I have about 12 subscriptions. I bet you have four times that many. I'm sure, right? Yeah, quite a lot. <laughs> so if you know how many subscriptions you have, do call in and let us know. We'd be curious to hear. You know what I'm waiting for right now? No. Not vice or virtue. We'll get to that. I'm waiting for you to do a pitch for people to be a <laughs> Patreon subscriber. Fair, fair. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Yeah, so how can I do this ethically without immense cognitive dissonance? Oh, fine. I'll take it from you. If you want to live a virtuous life, 
you can support Device and Virtue Podcast with a small regular <laughs> monthly amount, <laughs> which really helps us put on this, keeps Adam laughing and then embarrassed over there, and helps us do the research and hopefully bring value every month as we try to figure out how to live faithfully in this techified world. Chris, you did a great job. Thank you for taking on that burden. Now it's time for Vice or Virtue. Printers. <laughs> inkjet or otherwise? I guess we're probably... Because <laughs> like, inkjet are really terrible. We all agree. Like, they inkjet, really are. <laughs> they were supposed to be a good way for you to get color ink. Remember like when we were we starting with color? color and so it was a cheaper way to do it. But n- everyone has fought their freaking inkjet printer. It's yeah, nightmare. For ages, even before the subscription model, like just getting the thing to work, getting yeah. like that to print. Yeah, it's terrible. Downloading drivers. No, printers can be rough. But my thing about printers, I was thinking about this when we were just talking about this topic with the physical and the digital sort of separating the software versus the physicality. I was thinking about actually preaching. I know it seems weird, but like I used to preach years ago a lot more. I sit down and write a sermon, you type it into Microsoft Word or whatever, but always the last step of it was if you're going to preach it is you had to go print it out and you had to print it out. You need to like make the type size bigger and then print it on a printer, hopefully double-sided so it wasn't a thousand pages, but that could be like 30 or 40 pages. They can be long. It depends on how long the sermon is, but I was in a church where a 30 to 45 minute sermon was pretty normal. And print that thing out, which you're fighting the printer to do it, (laughs) double-sided, then punch it in a three-hole punch and then put it into- You had a whole process. Well, yeah, because then put it in a binder so you could have a little booklet so you could take up your binder and then flip through and read your sort of sermon. You You didn't end up with pages all over the place and you're like, where was I? And it it made that mistake one time. And then (laughs) then you realize I need page numbers and this better be in a binder because it falls out. Then you're like lost Then you look like a total idiot. I hated that whole process. It would take another hour maybe- (laughs) (laughs) Or to get this thing printed out, set up physicality. It was just dumb. And now I can just print off the iPad. Or now (laughs) now I can just preach off the iPad. So it's all instant. I never have to do this physical. glow on your face. I don't have to do this whole physical thing. And actually, I did pay for an app that auto scrolls things for a little bit Mm. on an iPad. So I don't even have to manually scroll. By the way, I paid for that feature. It's a sort of subscription to upgrade the existing product. The point is, I'm so glad that the printer is gone from mm. my life and mm. the whole process. I don't want to print out another thing. So printers, total vice. Yeah. I have probably printed maybe 10 pages in the last year. Not a lot. And For you, I'm surprised. I, yeah. I figured you were still over there printing all your emails out. Mm, no, you're right. <laughs> yeah. I Going over them with a highlighter. Yeah. But I found out recently that I could, from my library app, I could print things to a printer at the library, which is really cool. Like I could just send it. It would be in the queue. I'd go to the library and I would punch in whatever code I needed and it would release the print job. And Cost a little money? Yeah. yeah, yeah. I think it's like 10 cents a page or whatever. But like I pay it. I own those pages when I'm done and I haven't subscribed to anything. I even have a free library membership and I don't even have to pay for it. It's amazing. And I tell you what, libraries are amazing. There's so many resources. You can find 3D printers there. So I will say libraries are a virtue, but yes, printers are still a vice. (laughs) It's time for us to talk about people following us on social media. Unfortunately, if you don't have a subscription on Twitter, it's looking like things are going downhill. So we'll see how that works. But you can find us on Instagram or even the new threads. We'll see if that goes anywhere. Mm. You can also find us on Facebook if you're still there. (laughs) 
This episode was brought to you in part by the Compelled Podcast, which uses gripping, immersive storytelling to bring Christian testimonies to life. Listen to missionaries, addicts, martyrs, and more who have seen Jesus at work in unbelievable ways. Listen on your podcast app or compelledpodcast.com.